started to think about the summertime and where we were going on our holidays. Uh, obviously, then the last few years with COVID, well, you couldn't kind of really make many plans about going anywhere on holidays for any length of time or any distance. But we would have tended to think round about March time. What are we going to do in the summer? What big, exciting holiday are we going to be on? Um, and usually it was something fairly low-key and inexpensive because I'm a Presbyterian minister, so I don't want to spend too much money on a holiday, so uh, try and get away on, on the cheap. And, and I suppose I quite enjoy kind of planning a trip, whether it be on a plane or a boat or train or whatever it may be, and kind of fitting all the different components and the stages of the journey together. That's, you know, quite fun, as long as you get it right <laughs> and you don't either mess up yourself or else... You know, a plane gets delayed and then, oh, craggy, you can't get your connection and so on. And oh, very quickly, uh, a holiday can turn into a disaster. There's a sense in which the Bible takes us on a journey, a big picture journey. And there are different component, component parts to that journey. Uh, and Exodus 6 hints at that very strongly. Uh, whenever God speaks to Moses, the Lord, Yahweh, I am that I am. And he talks about how he's going to bring the, the people of God, the Israelites, on a journey out of Egypt, and they're going to come to the promised land because God has remembered his covenant. And there's, there's a sort of a, there's a starting point for, for Moses here, going back to Egypt and seeking to bring the people out. And there's an end point the entering of the, of the promised land. But there's, there's a, a number of stages in between. And I think that speaks to us of our journey as Christian people, as a community of faith, that there are different phases or stages in our spiritual journey. What's the first one? What's the first one? Well, it's about liberation deliverance. That's where it starts. That's where a journey always has to start with God entering into our lives and liberating us, delivering us. In Moses's case, in, in ex, the case in Exodus, the context is obviously a physical enslavement to the Egyptians. But it points to the greater reality that spiritual reality of our enslavement to sin. And so that's the start of the journey. Starting off at the beginning, heading out, being delivered from the consequences of our, of our slavery to sin. And of course, what happens in Exodus Again, there's, there's lots of little signposts. You know, when you're on a journey, it's great when you get a signpost. And you, ah, that's where we're going, you know. Uh, again, my wife and I, from time to time, are driving around in a car in some place that we don't really know very well. And you're looking out for that signpost that will tell you that's where we go to get our destination. And of course, you come to a signpost and it lists a whole lot of places, but not the one you're looking for. And you're kind of going, well, do we go there or do we go there? We don't get the map out. 
and it's very easy to take a wrong turn. I, I tend to sometimes be spontaneous and, and ad lib and say, okay, we'll go this way and I think this is the way we're gonna go and I trust my wife to be sensible. And once she starts to realize that we're going down the wrong track, she'll tell me, you need to go back to where we started from and go you know, work from there. Occasionally, she kind of lets me have my way and we regret it because then we get completely lost. But anyway, where do we start from? As, uh, if we're thinking about the Christian journey, we must start from that position of liberation, deliverance, God coming to rescue us. Because we can't do it ourselves. We can't climb out of the pit through our own self-effort, through our good deeds. We have to have God coming and reaching and pulling us out. And that's what the book of Exodus points to with the whole business of, of the Passover, the 10th plague. Pharaoh has from time to time said, okay, I'll let your people go, uh, Moses, and then he goes, no, no, I won't. And then the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn in each of the homes across the whole of Egypt. They wake up in the middle of the night and the cries go out. Our son is dead. But in the Israelite homes, that's not the case. Why? Because of the blood of a perfect lamb or kid goat, the blood daubed over the doorpost means that the angel of death passes over those homes. The blood of the sacrificed animal means that the angel of death passes over. And of course, Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, talks about Jesus as our Passover lamb. Jesus is the ultimate reality, the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrifice, the sacrificial system that is described in the Old Testament worship. And so God leads Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And God leads us out of slavery to sin. Exodus, speaking powerfully of that journey of deliverance, of liberation. There's a lovely description in Luke's gospel of the transfiguration of Jesus. Peter, James, and John are privileged to be on the mountain with Jesus as he prays. And then as he prays, his face changes. His clothes become bright as a flash of lightning. And then two figures appear. Who are they? Well, they're Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law of the Old Testament. Elijah, the prophets in the Old Testament. And they appear in glorious splendor. And they talk with Jesus. So there's Peter, James, and John on this mountain and this incredible experience of, of Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking together. Wow. We think, what did they talk about? Was it, are Northern Ireland going to beat Finland this evening? Wasn't it great that Ireland won the Grand Slam? What's the weather like going to be tomorrow? 
What are you having for dinner? No, I doubt that it was that. In fact, we know what they talked about. Because the, the next verse says they spoke about his, in the Greek word it is, exodus. They spoke about his exodus, his departure, his walk off of the stage. But the word is exodus, referring again back to Moses, the people of God in the Old Testament, and saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this in what he is about to do in Jerusalem on the cross. Jesus' exodus death is the topic of the conversation when Jesus, Moses, and Elijah meet on this mountaintop. And so I suppose that question for us all this evening, which is good to ask ourselves from time to time, have we experienced the deliverance, the liberation, the salvation that Jesus offers us through his life and death and resurrection? Have we owned that for ourselves? We're not relying on our parents and their faith. We're not relying on our baptism X number of years ago. We're not relying on our communicant membership of a congregation or our perhaps faithful attendance at worship or we're not relying on our being a, not a bad person. What are we relying on? We're relying on the blood of Jesus shed for me. Charles Wesley puts it like this in the great hymn, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The start of the journey receiving the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus Christ. Owning that for ourselves, trusting in Christ, truly and wholeheartedly. That's the start of the journey, but of course, the start of the journey is only the start of the journey. We know where we're ending up, we're gonna end up with Canaan, but what comes in between in the book of Exodus? Well, a couple of things, a couple of big things, many things, but a couple of big things come in the middle. One is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. The people of God, yes, they're delivered, they're liberated from slavery in Egypt, but then they come to Sinai. And on, at Mount Sinai, Moses is given a set of rules. So just when they were starting to think, oh, this is great, we're free, we're liberated. God says, now I've got a list of things that you've got to do. And if you don't do them, you're in trouble and I'm not going to be happy with you. Oh, goodness sake. It's not really annoying. Just when we thought we were free, God lays a whole set of rules and regulations on us. How do the Ten Commandments start? 
The Ten Commandments start, of course, with, you shall have no other gods before me. Then you shall not make for yourself an idol. You'll not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You have to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have to honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not give false testimony, and not covet. Isn't that the Ten Commandments? A list of rules and regulations to keep us in our place, to stop us from enjoying life too much. But hold on a minute. How do the Ten Commandments start? You shall have no other gods. Uh -uh. The Ten Commandments start with these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do you get it? God's saying, I'm your liberator, delivering God who loves you and knows what's best for you. I've shown you that in past experience and in light of that, I want you to trust me that here's some guidance for life that if you live by this, you will enjoy your life so much more. You will find purpose and meaning and fulfillment. You'll live life abundantly and joyfully. It's not a set of rules to keep us in our place, to spoil our fun. God's not a killjoy. He's giving us these commandments so that we become the people, the full, rich, mature people of God that he wants us to be. But there's an element of discipline, of trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying. Walking with God each day seeking to trust him and obey him. And of course, God provides for them during their wilderness wanderings, just enough for each day. If they accumulate too much, if they pile up too much, it goes rotten. There's illness. Just every day, keeping in step with God. They end up in this wilderness And they spend a number of years not getting to the promised land. Wilderness. It's a theme in the Bible, isn't it? The desert, the wilderness. In this case, in the book of Exodus, the people end up in the wilderness with the kind of grind and the the slog and the hunger and thirst. And they have to just follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and There's just enough for each day, but they don't have an overabundance. It's certainly not the land of of plenty, the land of promise flowing with milk and honey. And it's because they've messed up. It's because they've messed up that they end up in the wilderness. And sometimes we end up in wilderness situations because we mess up. And God allows the consequences of our failure, our sin, to rest with us so that we learn lessons 
and we mature through that process. But sometimes we end up in the wilderness for no fault of our own. So if we're in a time of wilderness, if we're in the time of, of testing, of trial, don't assume, oh, this is because I, I messed up and God is punishing me. Because sometimes it's just the way God leads and guides, and it's not our fault. I'm thinking of Luke chapter 4, after the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized, and we have that wonderful picture of, of how the, the, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice of the Father from heaven comes, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What an what a experience. And yet, a, a few verses after that, we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. You get the point? Sometimes we're in a wilderness situation, and God seems to be far from us because we have messed up. But more often than not, that's not the case. It's simply that we're going through a time of testing and trial and suffering, and God wants to journey with us through that time of testing and trial and suffering with a purpose, with an end goal, that we might, in our suffering, reflect something of the suffering of Christ and be made more like Him through that stage of our journey. Liberation, deliverance, that's part of our journey. That's the start of the journey. God's grace coming to us. We find forgiveness in Christ through his blood shed for us. But then the, the daily working out of walking with Jesus, the discipline, the Mount Sinai. Yes, God the liberator knows best for us and so he gives us certain commands and instructions for life so that we might live life to the full. But there's also the desert experience, the wilderness experience. Walking, walking, walking. Sometimes being carried by God when we don't have the strength to walk ourselves. But then, liberation, discipline, finally, possession. Because Exodus 6 points us towards that idea of possessing the land. I will bring you, says the Lord, to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God brings the people of Israel in the time of Exodus across the River Jordan into the promised land, an abundant land flowing with milk of honey, milk and honey. He keeps his promises. He is alive. He is at work in the world today. He's pouring out his blessing, bringing healing, restoring broken relationships. The Holy Spirit 
is at work in our lives, in our hearts, our minds, and he's working in the lives of those around us. Let's own the promises of God. Let's name God's promises and claim them for ourselves, not so that we're blessed, but that we can be blessings to others. Let's seek God's Spirit, the strength of God's Spirit, so that we might be the people of God, keeping in step with the Spirit, doing the will of Jesus, and glorifying the Father in all that we do and are. Are we living out all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us? Is our prayer life rich and vibrant? Are we enthusiastic about our engagement with others in fellowship and worship? Are we looking forward to an opportunity this week to share a word with someone about Jesus? What might God want to do in us and through us in the coming week? God's Spirit. If we're sensitive to the Spirit, He has something important for each one of us to do in Jesus' name this week. Liberation, deliverance, discipline, and then possessing the promises of God, owning them for ourselves, and working them out in our lives, and sharing God's blessing with others. There's a lovely verse in Ecclesiastes 4 that talks about a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. As we entwine those, allow God to entwine those three strands, one around each other, that, that strengthens our Christian character, our Christian discipleship. If we're just relying on our liberation, oh God, save me, 50 years ago, full stop, that's our testimony. God hasn't done anything since. That's not strong. Or if we're just plodding through the wilderness, keeping going, but we have no sense of God's grace and God's mercy and God's liberation, we're missing out somewhere. Or if we're just always claiming the blessings of God, but we're not prepared to engage in disciplined discipleship. Get the picture? All three intertwined together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the pictures that you paint for us in Scripture. Pictures in the Old Testament of the people of God and their journey. Lord, we identify with them because sometimes they get it right. And they're so spot on. They're so in tune with you. And then other times, they're, they're total failures. But then that's us. We're hit and miss. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have one who loves us. One who gave himself for us. One who shed his blood for us. So that we could know forgiveness salvation, so we could know ourselves as the children of God. 
Help us to embrace and own for ourselves that sense of freedom in what Christ has done for us through his life and death and resurrection. And help us to be disciplined, to trust and obey. Not, not worn down by rules and regulations so that we're, we're miserable, but delighting to do your will, to be holy as you are holy, so that we might be fulfilled and purposeful in all that we are and do. And help us to enjoy your gracious blessings, to own them and to share them. The promises of God for the people of God. Lord, speak to us. Speak to each one of us in our own different, unique situations and circumstances. And, and take that which you want to apply to each one of us and, and just impress that upon our minds and hearts this evening and help us to take that away, to treasure it up in our, in our hearts, to meditate upon it and put it into practice. In the name of the Lord we pray. Amen.